This morning, I'm excited about the word that God has put on my heart. It's a word that's been building for a little while, and uh, the, for the first time maybe in the life of this body, we're going to do a two-week sermon. So at some point today, we're going to hit pause, and I'm going to tell you, come back for season one, episode two next week. Uh, so if you want to get the full benefit of what I believe God is leading us through, uh, this is an invitation to be back here next Sunday. But Two months ago, I found myself in this room, and this room was filled with people from approximately 31, 32 different countries all around this, the world. And exactly on this date, exactly two months ago, we were in this room for the first time together when I went to the Philippines for my studies with all my classmates and the new first years and our faculty and leaders and every day we would gather in this room and we would pray together for the nations like we did here this morning. And what was amazing to be in this room is to hear the testimonies and stories of what God is doing all across the world. I can recount stories of one of my classmates who's an Iranian man who got a contract to go and work in Dubai. And as a Muslim, he went there. And on the staff with him were some people from the church in the Philippines who shared the gospel with him, and he got saved there. And since then, he's dedicated his life to the advance of the gospel. And not only has he planted churches back in Iran, he's planted churches in Turkey, and he's currently planting a church in the south of France. Stories about our brothers and sisters in restricted nations, that when we hear these stories, we're not allowed to take pictures of them because if it gets out on social media by any form, they might be in danger for their lives. But they're telling stories and testimonies of God building His church and nations that we might only dream of visiting one day. That is so locked down that we might not even get a visa to go there. Stories of our friends and our brothers and sisters in the United States that when we think of the U.S., we think, yeah, the church there is good and they've got to sort out their stuff because what the media throws our way is just so overwhelming. But you hear the stories of faithful men and women on the ground who's making disciples and reaching people, not from the pulpit, but in real life, touch and reaching people one by one and seeing people saved from darkness brought into the light. I was blessed by the stories of my friend from Uganda, they, we call him Papa Ronnie. Uh, he's a young man, but the reason he's called Papa Ronnie is because he sits in a country where there's so many orphans that's part of his church, and he leads them. And these young orphans are giving their lives to Jesus and says, we want to make a difference in the world. And then there's stories of our couple that we met who spoke to us about what they're doing in Bangladesh, a restricted nation, and how the government is doing everything in their power to stop the work of the gospel advancing, but they keep going, even in the midst of threats, even though they've been thrown in prison and beaten up, they keep on going. And yesterday, one of our good friends as a church, Uncle Yesupadam in India, who some of you know, turned 70 years old. And in India, the average life expectancy for a man is 45 years and he's 70 years old, and he has planted, I'm not exaggerating, near a thousand churches in his life. In the nations of India, Iran, Afghanistan, Germany, Sweden, Canada, and Madagascar. And being in this room, praying with these people, 
I was looking around and I was saying, God, have we maybe developed a low view of what you're doing? A lesser view of your church? Have we reduced it to just being something that we go to on a Sunday? But from your perspective, and when we find ourselves in a room like that, with a global perspective, our hearts open up to see that God is on the move, and He is building His kingdom. I'm going to show you a quick video of us praying together in that room for one of the nations. It was in one of those moments that the Lord started speaking to me about this sermon that I'm going to preach today and next week, where the Spirit reminded me of this statement, and this is the words of Jesus, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Just think about that statement. You've got to understand that this is the first time that the word church is mentioned in Scripture. It's only mentioned one other time in the Gospel of Matthew, and then we find it from the book of Acts going forward. But this is Jesus stepping onto the scene with an idea that people haven't heard before, but an idea that will change the world. When he said, I will establish, I will construct, I will design, and I will build my church. And if there's one thing that the gates of hell cannot prevail against, it's that. It's this construct. It's the idea of church. So for the next two weeks, we're going to speak about gains and gates. Because since the moment that Jesus said this, his church has been taking ground. Since the moment that he made this statement, gains have been made for the kingdom. And as the church goes through the journey of taking more ground for the kingdom and grows across the world, even in nations where people are killed for saying Jesus on the streets, we come up against gates. And next week we'll speak about the gates, but today we're going to speak about the gains. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, do you believe Jesus' words to be true? And if you do, when you hear that statement, I will build my church, is that the confession that you have? Or do we confess different things about church? Maybe you've been disappointed in the idea of church, because church did not build the way I wanted them to. And the pastor didn't preach what I wanted to hear or whatever reasons we might find. So we leave this building that Christ is, is putting together and we confess against the words of Jesus when we confess negatively about his church. Do we still believe Jesus today that he said that and he's still doing that? Or have you developed a low view of church that doesn't believe this anymore? that sees it as an hour and a half a week? Are you building with Him? When you read that statement, you've got to ask the question, am I building with God? Am I building with my resources, with my energy, with my heart, with my focus, with my time, with my money, in a way that I see God's kingdom being stewarded in this world? Am I doing that? Or am I building my own thing? And so many times when we're building our own thing, it's building against that which God is constantly and continually building. Are we taking ground for the kingdom? Or are we just taking ground for ourselves? 
You've got to get this this morning. And if this is the one thing you get, then it's a win. When Jesus returns, everything you see, even this chapel, upon these school grounds that you sit in, and all the millions of rands that's invested here, will burn to nothing in a moment. None of this will last. The home that you love making pretty will be gone in a few seconds. And the only thing that will remain standing is Christ and his church. Are we building with him? Are we building alongside him? Is the confession of our mouth and belief in our hearts at the level where Jesus says it should be? I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot. Even though it tries, even though it comes with things like COVID, even though it comes with offense, even though it comes with issues in the church, even though it comes with the church not being able to meet, doesn't matter what's being thrown at it, it will not prevail. Because I am building my church. So let's read this verse in context out of the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm going to read it in three sections and talk about each one of them for a brief moment. Lord Jesus, I pray as we open your word that you would speak to our hearts by the power of your spirit and that we would leave you saying, God, we are a people who's building with you and who's believing the statement to be true. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? You see, the world has their views of Jesus and the church. And it has quite a lot of views. And do you know what the world loves? The world loves to lavish out its views on Jesus and the church. But Jesus wasn't after the world's idea of who he is because clearly the world couldn't figure it out. Maybe you're a prophet. Maybe you are Elijah. Maybe you are John the Baptist. Maybe you're one of these guys that, I don't know, somehow is still around or came back. We don't know, but they've got these weird, warped ideas about you. And I can imagine Jesus sitting there with his disciples and says, that's not really what I'm after here. I want to ask what you say, what you think, what you believe. And I believe that question still remains to us today. Not what your parents say about church or your friends or the TV or the media or you, even you yourself think church and Christ to be, but who do you say Jesus is? And what would your answer be this morning? Who do you say Jesus is? Let's continue to read. Simon Peter, the big spokesman for the disciples, said this, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You are the Christ. And in that statement, Peter said something that brought everything together. The other day I was spending time with the Lord and I was just thinking about all the attributes and the names of Jesus as he is revealed in Scripture. 
And when Peter said, you are the Christ, all of those things, all of those accolades, all of those names, all of those essences of Christ was said in that statement. Let's just go through some of what the Bible says. When he, we say that you are the Christ, we speak about the promised seed, the word, the root of David, the lamb who was slain, the lion of Judah, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Alpha and the Omega, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the head of the church, the second Adam, the law fulfiller, the heir of all things, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, the one who upholds the world by the word of his power, the founder of our faith, the one who completes the work that he has started, the risen one, the divine son, the promised seed, the image of the invisible God, the substitutionary atonement, the groom, the way, the truth, and the life. The light of the world, the good shepherd, the living water, the bread of life, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the great high priest, the I am, the one who conquered death, the resurrection, the life, the hope of the world, the judge, the master builder, the cornerstone. When Peter said, you are the Christ, all of these accolades were widely awaked and awakened in Peter when he thought about Jesus. So we've got to stop and ask ourselves, what do we think when we think about Jesus? Because in that moment of thinking about Jesus correctly, we and our view of church will be defined correctly. Because the story continues. Jesus responding to Peter, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We've got to pause and notice the name used in this passage. <clears throat> the author of the gospel said, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. And then Jesus said, well done, Simon Bar-Jonah. He didn't say Simon Peter. He said Simon Bar-Jonah, which means Simon, the son of Jonah. And then he gave him a new name. He said, now I'm calling you Peter, Cephas, and on this rock, Cephas, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, when we correctly define Christ, we become correctly defined. I'm going to say that again. When we correctly define Christ, we ultimately and finally become correctly defined in our own lives. And then he said, it's not flesh and blood who revealed this to you, but your Father in heaven. It's not Jonah, your earthly father, who revealed to you in your soul and your inner man who Christ is, but the Father in heaven. How many of us are sitting here today because our mom and our dad told us that it's a good idea to go to church? It was the same for Peter. He grew up as a Jewish man doing all the Hebrew customs, going to pray, going to all the things that Jewish people do, but he needed the revelation of Jesus Christ to come knock at the door of his own heart for the full revelation to stand up. And in South Africa, isn't that our story? We go through the tradition of church, but sometimes we lack the revelation of Christ that we need. And some of you might sit here this morning and you are about to be defined for the first time, because you're getting the revelation of who Jesus really is. All those names and how the scriptures reveal him can be awakened in us. 
Because when we live there, we will believe the statement. That doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter what happens. His church will prevail. And being in that room with my brothers and sisters from across the world who face things 10 times, 50 times, 100 times harder than us, still believing this. For a moment, I felt ashamed that I doubted sometimes. And that's my story. You might have had more faith in your walk up until now. But let's look at this piece of passage and what this means to us. First of all, it's about being identified by Jesus. What is causing your identity? You see, your parents might have given you a name, and it's great, because then we wouldn't, otherwise we wouldn't have known how to call you. They've given you a name, which is a great thing. But even though Simon Barjona was called Simon, Christ wanted to define him in a different way. Christ wanted to pull out something in him. Christ wanted to say, you are more than just that name that your parents gave you. Some of us are blessed that our parents prayed about our names, and within that, God has led them prophetically to give us a specific name, and we live up to that. But you've got to understand that even though you were given that name, your identity is not locked up in that name. As a follower of Jesus, your identity comes from him. Your identity doesn't come from what people call you or think about you. Your identity comes from Him. Your identity doesn't come from what the world try and impose upon you. Your identity comes from Jesus. And if we want to believe the statement that God will build His church upon the rock of the statement that He is the Christ and upon people like Peter who becomes rocks of, of, of disciples that He can use to build His church, we've got to get our identity right. And it all starts again with defined and certain views of Jesus Christ himself. Uncertain views of Christ will only offer unstable footing for the church. And we in this house are deeply passionate about this, that we know who Jesus is, that we are centered around him, that we do what he asks of us, that we believe his word to be true, and that we align our lives to that. We are not people-centered in this church. We're not centered around your needs, even though your needs might be real. We are centered around Jesus. Because in Jesus, your needs will be fulfilled in the way that He wants to fulfill it, not in the way that you want it to be fulfilled. In Jesus, we can gather in unity, even though we are people from different walks of life. And because He has bought us with a price and we are now His, we can look each other in the face and in the eyes and be a united community because we're here for Jesus, not for comfort. Because in Jesus and understanding what He's done, we come together on a Sunday morning and we celebrate with praise and worship and pray in the word to say thank you Jesus that we are Jesus people are you identified by Christ is he the one who speaks identity over you in a world of identity wars we've got to get this right people you know how the world is like I am let me use myself here I'm a white South African Christian as if my whiteness is the most important thing about me. As if my South Africanness is the most important thing about me. Can we just say, I am his? Isn't that enough? 
Isn't that what he's called us to? Oh, but we find our identity in our things. We find our identity in where we live. I live in this part of town. We were intrigued the other day by someone who came to our house. <laughs> um, and this person, when asked, where do you live, said, I live in Somerset West. I'm like, oh, okay, but I thought this was also Somerset West. Because apparently there's like parts of Somerset West and then there's the outskirts. And we find our identity in that, right? Am I hitting on some things that I should not? I'm glad I'm doing that. Because we cannot live there, friends. We cannot live in that mindset. That's limiting God to do what he's got to do. I remember a friend of me once got so, I don't even going to say that. Let's not go there. Thank you, Jesus, for your Holy Spirit that keeps me constrained this morning. Man, I look across this room and I think about how Jesus thinks of each and every one of us and how silly we've become to live in this world of comparison and identity and finding our identity in the car we drive and the clothes we wear and the schools our kids go to and the works we have and bank accounts. And when Jesus comes in a minute, it'll be gone, friends. But you know what will not be gone is that we are part of a church and that church is being built and that church is being established. And when he comes, he's coming for that. If we have that view of things, then this world and what it offers doesn't matter all that much anymore. Peter, who had this moment with Jesus, wrote later on to the dispersed church. So now the church was together and then persecution came, similar to the stories that I described about my friends that are across the world and they were dispersed across Asia Minor. And he wrote them a letter, reminding them of their identity. And this is what he said. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. But you are, this is who you are, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, you were without identity, even though your parents gave you a name, but now you are God's people because of Jesus Christ. One of the greatest tragedies that I've seen in ministry is people who leave church because they're really turning their back on this identity of a place where we are all in God's eyes, chosen, royal, perfect, sons and daughters of the Most High, who can be together in unity because we have not found our identity in this world, but we found it in Him. Jesus, I pray for your people this morning. May their identity be found in you. And if it isn't anything else, Lord, take us to that place where we are defined by you and not by our world. I ask that in faith. Secondly, not just being identified by Jesus, but being built by Jesus. I love this part. I will build my church. Who will build it? Jesus. Who's building the church? 
Jesus. Yes, surely he's using men and women who said yes to his call. He's using you to help build this. We are the co-laborers, but he, in essence, is the master builder, as the word describes him, who's constantly and always involved in building his church. His hands are continually upon us as he is crafting, designing, breaking at times when he is shaping, when he is painting, when he's restoring. He's giving us imagery to understand what it is that he's doing. He's building a house. He's building a church. Last night, I had the joy to be with our students in Cape Town for our Every Nation Campus Conference where I got to go share a message with them. And again, again, I say this, I was blessed to see how God's church is being built across the world by young men and women who passionately love Him, who's going to change society because they believe that that's what they've been called to. And when I got home, family was in bed already, and I got home and on the table I saw this, a little house that was built. It wasn't there when I left. (laughs) But when I got back home, I saw this, and I'm like, what an amazing piece of art. Where did this come from? And I went down the hallway, and then I saw Alika's light is still on, and when I walked in, I said, what happened? And she said, I wanted to build that. And I thought, that's amazing. Why did you want to build that? She said, I wanted to build that. I want to give it to you as a gift. And I look at that, and I'm like, the sense of pride in her heart that she created that, with so much love that she actually wants to give it to me. Isn't that a prophetic picture of Jesus and us as a church? She didn't know what I was going to preach about, but maybe the Spirit of God just laid upon her heart to do something creative that could encourage all of us today. But I mean, look at that. If you look at that top section, there's actually a washing line with some clothes on there. And you know what? I'm going to put this in my office as a reminder that God is busy designing and building His church. Because in the same way that she, with all the intent in her heart, took some broken pieces of cardboard and put that together, in the same way God takes us, living stones, and He works us, and He shapes us. And Jesus, the master builder, says, you know what, Neil, I'm going to take you and I'm going to fit you in here right next to Shane. And when Neil and Shane come together, oh, we've got a wall in this church. And then I'm going to go down there. I'm going to use Jasmine, the great drummer, to come and drum within this church. And then I'm going to use Philippa with all her business skills and abilities to be part of this church. And, 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 and he's busy building this perfect little house. And when he looks at that, the pride in his heart is what Alika felt times a million, times endless. And then we think it's okay to walk around saying that, church, oh, can we repent from that? Can we repent from that? Can we repent from comparing churches one to the other? Who are we to do that? Who are we to say, yeah, my church is like this and that church is like that? I found this church, and you know what, that's much better than this. As if church was ever meant to be satisfying exactly what you want. It's a place where God brings together people to design a little city. And then right next to this was this. Because who of you know that when there's a building site, it gets a little bit dirty. Because there's some stuff to cut away. There's some stuff to deal with. 
Are we okay with God dealing with his church when he needs to? Are we comfortable with God cutting away the things that he doesn't like? Are we comfortable when he does that in us? Because as Jesus looks at his church that he's constructing, he's getting excited about making it better. When you read the, the seven letters to the churches in Revelation, it speaks about Jesus seeing his bride and saying, you are a beautiful bride, but here's how you can be even more beautiful. Let me deal with some things in you. And I believe it's a season for us as a house to say, God, we fully say yes to you coming and shaping us the way you want us to be. You are the architect. You are the designer. Lord, we are fully okay with you doing it in our homes, that our homes will cut away the things that we don't need so that you can build the house that you want to build, that you would take our finances in a way and use it for your kingdom, that it's about you and not about us, that you would take our time and our resource and our energy as a family, cut away the things that is excess, that is unnecessary, that we somehow believe because the world keeps telling us you need these things. But Jesus said, as Eliana quoted this morning, your Father in heaven knows what you need. So who are you listening to, to the Father or to the world? Can we listen to the Father who knows that we need these things? And within that statement, first seek my kingdom. Build my church with me, friends. That's what I called you to. Second Timothy, I'm going to read a few verses, speaks about this. He says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. It's time for some of us to take out the garbage and say, God, come cut away the things that is not letting me be of any use within this house that the master is building. I'm encouraged when I read Acts 9.31. It says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. It's a continuous statement. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And since Acts 9.31, this has been the story. The church is being built up and it multiplies. It's being built up and it multiplies. But now some of you are statisticians. You'd like to know what the statistics says because statistically, it seems like the church is in decline. Well, I'm asking, is it true? It might be that church attendance is in decline because it might have been that there were so many around there who's not identified with Jesus and who wasn't there to build his kingdom that is now saying, you know what, that thing doesn't really work for me. And maybe the church is in its best position ever after the season we've get, gone through because God has been dealing with some things that he needed to remove so that the true people of God can come up, because he's coming for a clean and spotless bride. He is preparing us for that return that he has prophesied. Because in that return, this is what he's building. Back to the book of Revelation. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Jesus will continue to build and multiply His church until that moment. And we get to choose to be a part of that. And I hope you choose that this morning. 
I hope you believe this. And I hope that you say, God, I want to build with you. Christ, I want to build with what you are building. The third thing I want to say, and I love this just as much. Not only is he building, he says, I will build my church. We are being owned by Jesus as the church. We belong to him. We belong to him and to him alone. We don't belong to a leader. We don't belong to a movement. We don't belong to a certain church name or a vision. We belong to Christ. And across the world, he's building his church. And we've got to understand that at the bottom, we belong to him. If you are here because you like this church, that's great. But please don't belong to us. Belong to Christ. And because you belong to him, you're like, I'd love to express that here. Don't come here because you like the music or the preaching or be here because you love Jesus and you belong to him and he leads you to say, now this is the place where you can live out your calling and your purposes. See, the moment we belong to anyone else or anything else other than Jesus, we find ourselves often disappointed and many times in pain. My heart breaks for the current state of the world, when I look at the church, with so many leaders that's messing up. So many leaders that's messing up. And it causes immense pain when a leader falls. Some of the hardest pain that a church can go through. But Jesus, we belong to him. We don't belong to man. If we build with man, we will fall with man. And when man falls we will disappear because we were hurt by man. And Jesus is non-anxiously, quietly, confidently saying, I'm still building my church. Doesn't matter what man do, I'm still building my church. And if man messes up, I'm gonna remove man out of the way. I'm still building my church. Are you placing your confidence in Jesus, knowing that we as a community belong to him? Please do if you don't. From this moment forward, say, God, you are the head of the church, as it says in Colossians. And he, Jesus, is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. In this church, in this house, in every nation, Halderberg, in our congregations, in whatever we do, Christ is the head. No man will ever have that place. And if man tries, man will be removed. Not by man, but by God. Because God is not sharing that place and that position with anyone. He is the head. And if all things hold together in him, how much more his bride. The very thing that he's coming back for. If he holds all the world that will stop existing when he returns together. Can you imagine the intent to hold his church together? And again I say, is it okay then for us to try and break it apart in our confession, in our disbelief, in our own pain? If you've got pain because of church this morning, take it to Jesus. He wants to heal that. He wants you to have a high view of this beautiful thing called this church again. And then lastly, not only are we being built by Jesus, that we are owned by him, but we are being kept by Jesus. He keeps us. He creates us. He makes us. We are His, and then He constantly looks at His church and says, I'm going to keep you safe. I'm going to take good care of you. 
Jesus said to his disciples, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And when we are in that position with God, we know that we are being kept. And this leads me to say that that's what I'm going to talk about next week. When we make the gains and we come against the gates, how are we being kept to keep advancing the kingdom of God? So we've got to ask some questions this morning. So are we protecting the church with him like he is in our hearts? Do we believe that he is still building his church? Do we look around this room and get excited that there's people in this room who's on this journey with us? And he's taking us from glory to glory. He's making us more like Jesus Christ. Do we believe that he's always busy with that? You know what's amazing and gives me the confidence as a leader is when you guys leave here, Jesus is with you 24-7. I don't have to have that pressure on my back because it's impossible for me to do that. He's constantly there wanting to walk this road with you. He's constantly there wanting to build your life, your family's life, your children's lives. That's what he does. Do you believe that that is what he's busy doing? And then are you building with him or are you building against him? But most importantly, I want to go back to where I started. It starts with having an identity that comes from Jesus. Because when we are identified in him, when he becomes our identity, then we will, out of the outflow of that, build his church. And I don't know your story, but maybe you've never accepted Christ as your identity. You might have come to church just because you have to or because that's what South Africans do. You might have heard the gospel a hundred times. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would have that revelation that the Father gives about who Jesus is. I'm going to end with another story back in the Philippines. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and join me. Because we're going to sing in response to this morning. So this is a funny story. When we were studying, on one particular morning, they called all the students together for a meeting that didn't have to be there. Simeon, take your chair so that you can build a church with that base. We were together, we were called together for a meeting that wasn't on the schedule. It was after the first week. And they're like, uh, guys, we have a little bit of a problem, but there's a COVID outbreak amongst the students. And we're all like, oh yeah, that's true. I haven't seen him or her for a while. So in the Philippines, which is the country with the longest standing lockdown in, out of all of the countries in the world, they really wanted to make sure that that doesn't happen again. So they're like, guys, we've got to do this well. Otherwise, I mean, we're a big organization. People know. Um, so this was on the Saturday. If you've found out to have COVID, you've got to quarantine in your hotel for 10 days. So you know how we South Africans are? We're like, eh. 10 days quarantine, if I've got a sore throat, I'm not telling anyone because I want to be going home by the end of this week. I remember the one moment when I was sharing with my roommate, like, hey buddy, I'm not feeling too well today, but it's just a bad day. <laughs> I think I'm tired from the studies. Maybe it was a little bit more. But they told us, uh, not in direct terms, but indirectly, like, reconsider your plans to go and worship with the church in the Philippines tomorrow. So one of the students said, we just want to make sure you're saying we shall not go to church tomorrow. He said, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying be wise. So we're like, okay, but you're not saying we cannot go, he says. And he smiled. <laughs> so the next day, the South Africans said, well, we're going to church. We are not going to be worried about that. And 
We got into a car and we went down to the Philippines for the first time, my, my first time there, we went to the U-Belt space. And there's a picture of me at the church pointing with a big cheesy smile at the Victory U-Belt logo. But it was a good moment for me because 38 years before, a bunch of people gathered there when there were riots in that city trying to kill people because of the political unrest. And the U-Belt is University Belt. That's where all the university campuses of the city is. Steve Murrell, who's one of the founders of our movement and now the president, was there with a mission team. And they rented a theater. And as kids and students were running down the streets trying to find shelter from the bombs and the riots in the city, they had this theater and they would let them run in there. Because they said, you know what? The gates of hell will not prevail against the gospel being shared. So they took them in there, and when they got them in there, they said, you know, this is crazy what's happening out there, but can we tell you about Jesus? And within that room, people got saved. Students met Jesus in that moment, and the next day they would bring their friends, and the church was planted 38 years ago. So to be there in this moment and to stand in that heritage and to now know that this church is 90,000 people strong, gives you a sense of awe of what God can do with people that believes He can build His church, even though the city is burning. But what was really profound, and this is what I want to share, before we went there, we went to this building site first. This is a piece of property that they purchased 38 years later. And that week that we were there, just before we arrived, they actually planted the cornerstone because they're going to build a, a, a building there for the students to come and worship there. Because they need it. It's grown. It's, it's too big. Now, it's not 90,000 people in, all, in one building. They've got congregations all over the city. But this congregation, after 38 years of faithfulness, is going to build their own building. It's going to cost them three million U.S. dollars. And you know who's paying for it? Not the Americans. The Filipinos with their pesos. If you're worried about the rand being weak against the dollar, take your rand to the Philippines and he'll be smiling. Just to give you context. But God has provided through the people because there's a people that believe, I am going to partner with Jesus in building his church. But this is the cool story. Three days before that, we were in our class and one of our classmates shared the story of when they went to Cuba to plant a church there. They were on an open piece of property. And they laid the foundation stone and they prayed for this property. And while they were praying for this property, some doves appeared from the air and it came and it sat in the trees around them. They actually have a picture of it. And the locals were amazed because I said, we've never seen doves come and hang out here. Like we actually hardly ever see doves. It's not like the summers of West Pigeons that eat the dog food. Proper doves. Like we, we really don't have those. They were perplexed that there was that, and they stood there, and they're like, man, this has got to be a physical manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit, because in Scripture, He is revealed like that. You know what? God is creative, and at times, He does creative things, and He even bends the natural world that we are in to make sure that we know that He is in this. So there they are in a piece of property in Cuba, standing there, dedicating this property and the Holy Spirit comes in a physical form. How cool is that? And I listened to that story. I'm like, it breaks my brain a little bit, but wouldn't that be cool? Three days later, 
we were standing on this piece of ground where 38 years before people believed that God is going to build this church even though the city burns and they've believed for that place and God has provided for it by the people who's building with God and while we were there we took a moment to pray for this because that's what South Africans do we don't just go to get we go to give and we were there with them and we took a moment to prophesy and pray and as we were praying with Pastor CJ and one of his leaders and the four South Africans we were there together and as we were praying I saw a vision of the Holy Spirit coming onto this property going around in circles and as he's going around in circles people are being pulled in to this property and then as the wind increases they're being pushed out and the prophetic sense I had in this moment was that God's going to build something here that's going to raise up students that's going to send them out into the world not just for the Philippines but for the world and as I was about to share my prophetic word I looked up and I saw 10 doves circling around the property that we're standing on there's a picture of me pointing to the doves you can call Simon who's there with me you can call Mark they were all witnesses of this and then we prayed into this vision and we were all looking up and they were circling and circling and circling and circling and circling while we were praying you know what was amazing is there were 10 and when you think about the number 10 in biblical terms it means the completion of God because in the beginning when he pulled all the parts together 10 times he spoke let there be and every time he spoke he created so the number 10 was significant he was creating something in the spirit for this place and for this church 38 years later but you know what was even more exciting than that there were doves with five different colors there were white ones gray ones brown ones black ones there was even a pink dove amongst them speaking about the nations diversity and when we looked at that and what God wanted to say in this moment and thinking about the story three days before there was such a testament of the Holy Spirit a creative miracle in our midst of God affirming that He's going to build His church and I promise you when we said amen they flew off and that was it might be a simple story to you you might be sitting there like yeah God's building his church friends he's building it he is and the only invitation that we have to answer this morning is are you a part of it or not he spoke to me through doves because maybe he wanted to speak to you this morning through this message because you may might have just needed to hear this to believe that he is active he's involved he's busy building this this should change into double this not because we are about numbers we don't know how many people are sitting here every Sunday we'd never count and we never will but this should double because there's people out there that we are bringing into the kingdom He's building His church. Can we build with Him? So as a response this morning, we're going to sing this song again. And I don't want you to just sing this song. I want you to mean it. If you don't mean it, don't sing it. 
I heard this yesterday from one of my friends. Listen to this. When we sing to God, I will bow. And we do not bow down. We unconsciously train our brains that we don't need to do what we told Him we will. When we're singing, I bow down and we don't bow down. We train our brains to say it's okay to say stuff to God and not do it. Jesus speaks about those who draw near to them with their lips. They say all the right things, but their hearts are far from Him. So if you have faith, and if you want to say this morning in response to Jesus saying, I build my church, that you want to be a part of that, I want you to sing this song with that conviction. That He is building, and that I get to build with Him. Let's stand as we ready our hearts to respond. Jesus, I pray for us, your people, as we gathered here in your presence, that you will speak to us in our hearts this morning in a way that we can sing this and mean it, that we wouldn't just sing and go on with life, but that we would change something today because we are saying we are building your church with you. Jesus, thank you for this statement. Thank you that we are defined by you. Thank you, Lord, that we are built by you. Thank you, Jesus, that we aren't only defined and built, but that we are being kept by you because we belong to you. And as we sing this song this morning, Lord, let our hearts respond in response to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen.